well, hey, this is Eric. I'm one of the ministers at Regency. I just wanted to thank you for checking out this message. We're praying that God uses this message to draw your heart closer to Him. If you're ever in the Mobile area, we want to invite you to join us for worship on Sundays at 10 a.m. If you'd like to find out more information about Regency or to check out some other resources, visit our website at regencycc.org. So two weeks from today, on Sunday, October the 18th, John Mark Smith, who works with Eastern European Missions, is going to be here for what is called Million Dollar Sunday. And what that is, is that's a Sunday where we take up a special contribution for uh, purchasing Bibles that are going to be distributed all throughout the world. And each year we set a goal. Last year we were able to purchase over 3,550 Bibles. Almost $18,000 was contributed last year in just an amazing outpouring of generosity. Well, this year I want us to raise the goal. I want us to set a goal to purchase 4,000 Bibles, and I firmly believe that we can do it. And in order to do that, here's what we need to do. We need to pray. We need to pray to ask God to give us the courage and the faith to give sacrificially. We really need to prepare our hearts and that we need to prepare to give. And I promise you that if you will do that, then God will bless that gift and people will be able to read the Bible for the first time in their own language. So two weeks from today, we're going to ask you to prayerfully consider giving to supporting this wonderful mission effort. So today we're finishing our study on the book of Jonah, and I hope that you've enjoyed walking through this short four-chapter book. I've really enjoyed our study in Jonah. Andrew and Alan have done great jobs walking through chapters two and chapter three of this book, and today we're going to finish up with chapter four, but I wanted to recap where we've been in the story of Jonah. So the story of Jonah opens with Jonah receiving this word from the Lord to go to Nineveh, and Jonah simply says, no. And he runs. He actually goes the total opposite direction. He's headed down for this area called Tarshish because he wants to get as far from away from God as he possibly can. And he gets on this boat and the storm comes up and he's finally like, guys, the only way that this storm will go away is if you throw me overboard. And so they finally do toss him overboard. And then Jonah is swallowed by a giant fish. And in chapter two, Jonah has this moment where he's on rock bottom. He's in the belly of a, of a fish and he prays. And it, it's a beautiful prayer. I encourage you to go back and read it if you haven't read Jonah's prayer. And it seems like Jonah's going to have this moment of repentance. And in chapter 3, he reluctantly goes to Nineveh. And last week, Andrew talked about uh, that Jonah's message in the Hebrew was only five words. It's like his heart's not in it. He just says these five words in English. It's eight words, repent, or the city of Nineveh will be overturned. And God takes that message and causes revival in the whole city of Nineveh. It's every preacher's dream, but it's Jonah's worst nightmare. And that's the backdrop of where we're headed in chapter 4 of Jonah. So let's read Jonah 4, starting in verse 1. It says, But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. He prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, O Lord, take my life, for it is better for me to, live, to die than to live. 
Can you imagine Jonah being so angry over a revival that his message actually caused a whole city to repent? And what are the effects going to be of an entire city repenting and turning their hearts to God? Now, I would love for this message just to cause repentance amongst our church. And we're going to talk about that at the end of our message. But could you imagine me or Andrew or Allen standing up and giving this message? And as a result, the entire city of Mobile has this amazing moment of repentance. That would be beautiful. It would be glorious. But what might be crazier is that for one or all three of us to be like, this is awful. I am so mad that our entire city is now repenting and turning their hearts to God. Could you imagine a preacher being displeased and angry over that? And what's so fascinating is that what Jonah says when he's like, I knew this was going to happen, God, he actually quotes straight from Joel 2.13. Joel was someone who they didn't live at the same time, but it's definitely a passage that had been on his mind. And he quotes this verse almost verbatim. I knew that you were a compassionate God. God, I knew that this was going to happen. I knew that if I preached there, that you were going to forgive them and, and that you were going to accept their repentance. Because Jonah understood that if God was sending him to preach against Nineveh, then it actually meant that God was for Nineveh. And it makes Jonah angry. It's almost like maybe Jonah is struggling with the middle child syndrome or oldest child syndrome. If you're watching this video and you're the baby of the family, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm the baby of the family. I have two older siblings. And they used to get so mad when my parents would let me get away with things that they never got away with. When I, coming up, didn't really have much of a curfew because honestly I didn't really like staying out late. And I had some freedoms and extra responsibilities that they didn't get to have. And there may have been times maybe where one of your siblings got in trouble. If you're the oldest, you're the middle child, and the baby gets in trouble, and the mom and dad, they just kind of let them off. And you're like, I knew you were going to do that. I knew you were going to let them off. You treat them so differently than us. Jonah's really struggling here. He's struggling with what the mission and purpose of God truly is. And so it goes on to tell us that Jonah goes to the hillside and he takes a seat. He's just outside of the city and he's sitting on the hill and he's going to watch what happens. And there's this plant that's creating some shade for him. And it's really hot that day. And it says that he's really pleased with this plant. He's excited about it. He's super thankful for the plant. Meanwhile, his heart is filled with hatred. And it seems like maybe he sleeps under the stars and the next morning he wakes up and in the meantime, a worm has gotten into the plant and it's eaten the plant. It's causing the plant to die. And the plant eventually dies and he loses its shade and the, the sun is scorching down on him. And look at what it says in Jonah 4, starting in verse 9. But God said to Jonah, or Jonah says at the end of verse 8, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine, about the plant? I do, he said, I'm angry enough to die. The Lord said, you've been so concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? There's a couple of takeaways that I want us to understand from Jonah chapter 4. The first one is simply this. Your enemies 
are still God's children. Now, I love the book of Jonah, but it's a really difficult book because there are some things within this short book that are just really difficult for us to swallow. And it's not even about the whole fish with Jonah. It's about how God is treating Jonah's enemies. And as we go through this story, it just reminds us that my enemies and your enemies are still God's children. And while it's hard for us to forgive people who have done us wrong, sometimes it's even harder for us to swallow how God chooses to bless someone who has done us wrong. We've got to remember that God is on this mission, not of revenge, but of restoration. Sometimes we objectify our enemies, don't we? We really rob them of their humanity. We turn them into these objects filled with wickedness and evilness and their vile beings, but yet they're still human beings. And as God looks at my enemy and your enemy, he doesn't see this object to be punished. He sees his child. His child, whether they've done wrong or not, he still sees his child. And if you're a parent, then you know exactly how God looks at your enemy. He looks at them as his child. And God tells Jonah something so profound. Jonah, should I just write off all 120,000 people just because you don't like them? Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? And God's message is so powerful. Those are still my children. God loves the people that you hate. Ann Landers wrote, hate, hate is like acid. It can damage the vessel in which it is stored as well as des destroy the object on which it is poured. When, when our lives are filled with hatred, it not only affects the person that we hate, but it affects us. It's not only destroying them, but it's destroying me and it's destroying you. We're living in a really polarizing time. It's election season and there's so much hatred, so much animosity going on right now. And we've seen it on display on our TVs right inside our living rooms. And if we're not careful, then we can begin to turn people into the enemy. And God's message is so profound. One, people are not the enemy. We'll get to that later. But number two, people are still God's children. And if we're being totally honest, then we must admit that God is not as much concerned about who you're going to vote for on November 3rd, but he's more concerned about how do you treat those that are going to vote differently than you. Are you going to show your enemies? Are you going to show those who you might be opposed to? Will you show them love? It's important to remember that God is pursuing each of these people. God was pursuing Nineveh. God was pursuing Jonah. God was pursuing the Israelite nation. God is pursuing me and you. And God is pursuing each of those individuals that we might consider an enemy. God is pursuing those that you identify with politically and those that you don't. God is pursuing those that you have issues with their lifestyle and those whose lifestyles you're opposed to and to those that you don't. God is pursuing all because all are his children. And sometimes the ones that we think don't deserve God's mercy, God thinks they do. And as we go through the story of Jonah, and especially as we get to chapter four, it's exposing things within our heart. Do I have an enemy? Am I showing my enemies love? 
And so don't be surprised when God sends you across the street to go share his goodness with someone that you don't agree with. Don't be surprised when God sends you to the cubicle across the way or to the office just down the hall to the person that you don't like, to the person that you really have some strong feelings about. Don't be surprised when God sends you to them because he loves the people that you struggle to love. They're still his children. Your enemies are God's children. And it's one of the things that's hard to swallow from the story of Jonah. But the second takeaway is this. It's really about the plan. It's that sometimes our concerns can be misplaced. I mean, think about it. Jonah gets so happy about a plant. A plant. Now, I get when it's really hot, you can really enjoy the shade. But think about what's going on here. Jonah is so happy about this plant, yet he's furious over an entire city that is repenting and turning their hearts to God. His concerns are misplaced. It's why God asked him, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? Can you hear his pride coming through? Yeah, it is. God, it's absolutely right for me to be angry. And God's thinking, no, Jonah. No, it's not. You have no right to be angry right now. We've got to remember that sometimes we get so passionate about the wrong things or just about things that don't really matter that much. Like for instance, think about something that you've recently gotten passionate about. Maybe it was because your team actually got to play a sport, which in 2020 is a really exciting moment. And maybe your team won. And while that's super exciting and it's great to have passion about a team, are you that passionate about people? Or maybe it is that you've bought something new and you're so excited about it and you want to share it with everybody and you post it on your Instagram and you take a bunch of pictures of it and you tell everybody about it and you're really excited about it. But are you that excited about people? Or maybe you can't wait for the upcoming election because you think that whatever's going to happen on that day that your candidate that you're supporting is going to get elected and put into office or remain in office and you're really passionate about it and you share about it a lot on Facebook and you post about it and you talk about it and you watch a lot of the news. And while that's important, is it the most important? Is it more important possibly than people? Just do this for a moment. Have a little mental exercise. What is God passionate about? What makes God happy? Just quickly think through the story of the Bible. And I know that's hard to do, but just Quickly think through the story of the Bible. What caused God to throw a party? There's really only a couple of things, and really they're all kind of related to one thing. There's these three parables in Luke 15. And all three parables, even though they're different, all tell the same story. It's a story about what makes heaven celebrate. What causes the heart of God to jump for joy? And in all three parables, it's the same thing. It's lost people being found. What's God passionate about? He's passionate about people. Jonah was passionate about a plant, not about the people that God had called him to preach to. And God is asking Jonah a question. He's attacking Jonah's heart. Jonah, do you love plants more than you love people? And he's asking you and I the same thing. Do you love plants more than you love people? And maybe for us, it's not plants. Do you love blank? Fill in the blank. What do you love 
more than people? Is it possible that you love something else more than you love people? Here's a powerful quote from Bob Goff. He said, Jesus talked to his friends a lot about how we should identify ourselves. He said it wouldn't be what we said we believed or all the good we hope to do someday. Nope, he said we would identify ourselves simply by how we loved people. It's tempting to think that there's more to it, but there's not. Love isn't something we fall into. Love is someone that we become. And he's echoing there from John 13, 35, where Jesus says, by this, by the way that you show love to other people, they will know that you are his disciple. And so the question is simply this, what are you passionate about? Are you passionate about people? Are you passionate about helping people find Jesus? Are you passionate about loving others. It's great to have other passions in life, but are you using those passions in the same way to help people find Jesus? The third takeaway is simply a question. How will you finish the story? The story of Jonah, it just ends. I mean, it it really just stops. There's no bow that's wrapped on it. The loose ends are not tied up from the story. It's like watching a series maybe on Netflix or on TV, and you've invested a lot of time into this series, and maybe you're even a couple of seasons in, and the story's just starting to get good, and you're wondering how's it going to end, and it just stops. You have this series finale, or excuse me, you have this Uh, You have this season finale and it kind of leaves you hanging and you're going to have to watch the next season to find out what happens. And then they cancel the show. The show doesn't get picked up and you think, no, I've invested way too much time into this TV show. I need to know what happens. And it it just stops. That's what happens in the story of Jonah. We don't find out, does Jonah ever repent? Does Jonah... Uh, go back to Nineveh and join in the repentance and celebration? Does Jonah ever learn how to love his enemies? What does God lead Jonah to do next? What happens to Nineveh? Does this revival continue? It, It just ends. And I think it ends for a reason. Because the story of Jonah is written in a way that it's causing us to examine ourselves. We're called to put ourselves in the shoes of Jonah. How, how are you loving your enemies? How am I loving my enemies? How will you finish the story? How will you finish your story? It reminds me of the words of Jesus in Matthew 5 where Jesus says, But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you might be sons and daughters of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good. He sends rain to the just and the unjust. For if you only love those who love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do that? And if you only greet your brothers, what what more are you doing? Even the Gentiles do the same. Jesus is reminding us that the way that we treat those that we don't love, it absolutely matters. Whether you consider them an enemy or not, how you treat someone that you have a hard time loving absolutely matters. It's what makes you different than everybody else, if you say you are a believer, if you say you're a follower of Jesus, if you say you're a Christian, and you really want to know whether or not you are one, then look at how you treat those that are hard to love. Look at who you greet and surround yourself with and show kindness towards. The story of Jonah 
is not about a man being swallowed by a fish. It's about a man allowing himself to be swallowed by the mission and purpose of God. I am Jonah, and you are too. Will you allow yourself to be swallowed by the mission and purpose of God? Maybe you're like me. You've been praying for revival praying for revival in our church family, praying for revival wherever you live, praying for revival for the city of Mobile. You're praying for our country to experience revival. What you've got to understand is that revival starts with me. Revival starts with you. There will not be a revival that does not begin within you first. Earlier in chapter 4, I told you that Jonah quotes a passage straight out of Joel 2.13. He almost quotes it verbatim. But there was a line that he left out from Joel 2.13. When he said, God, I knew you were a compassionate and gracious God, abounding in love, slow to anger, uh, relenting. There's something he left off that's right at the beginning of Joel 2.13. Joel says, as he begins that statement, rend your heart. If you want to experience revival, if you want our country to experience revival, our church, our city, it starts with you and I rending our hearts. That word rend is so fascinating. It means to tear. It's like when you have extreme grief, sometimes you just want to rip something, your shirt, a piece of paper, you want to rip a hole in the wall. It's just experiencing grief. It's a sign that you're in grief. And it begins by allowing your heart to be torn to be broken. And so as we pray for revival, it begins with our hearts being broken. There's no revival starting at Regency that doesn't start inside of me and inside of you first. So let's pray for that revival. Father, we lift before you that our hearts need to be broken. Father, we ask that you would break our hearts and begin revival in me and in each person that's watching this video. Father, may revival start inside of us. Father, expose to us maybe ways that we treat others that are difficult to love in ways that you wouldn't have us to. Father, help us to treat them as Jesus would, to show unconditional love. Father, expose those feelings uh, of distaste that we have towards others. Father, expose what could possibly be a spirit of hatred or Uh, violence or, Father, a, a spirit of distaste towards someone. Expose it within our heart that you might remove that from us so that we can treat each person with love. Father, help us remember that each person that we come into contact with is your child. And Father, help us to be more passionate about people than anything else. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for the story of Jonah. Thank you most of all for Jesus through him that we pray. Amen.